Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld and this is Rob Observations where we mash up comic books, pop culture, all of it into one tasty enchilada for all of us to share. Today we are going to get to a crazy story in the history of, of, of comic books that details uh, a very interesting parallel to, to stuff that is always kind of being discussed in, in the comic book business. It's never kind of gone away, but it actually occurred. It happened. A, a, a very disastrous event happened in 1978 when I was 11 years old. And, uh, and, and everyone who is really in the business now, editors, uh, writers uh, of that age, they've all, we, we, we all have spoken of it, discussed it on record in, in, in different magazines, interviews, but it is the, the infamous DC Comics implosion. The DC Comics implosion. It was a, it was a giant event that was called the DC Comics explosion. It was meant to be an explosion. It was advertised as an explosion. And, and, and an entire new line of books, expanded titles, um, new characters, the DC Comics explosion. And yet, that's not how it turned out. Before it really ever got started, the plug was pulled. Uh, very few of these books actually launched. And, and the plan was, was, was killed. And the line was wiped out. And it was called the DC implosion from that point evermore. And it affected the way that you are receiving your comic books today. Now you're like, how is something in 1978 affecting what's going on with me today? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share that with you uh, today, but 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 we're going to start with the, right before we get to the, the meat of this incredibly crazy story, I am going to uh, share with you in, in, in the hot topic slot, uh, some, some cool stuff in regards to uh, what, what what I was was enjoying over this last weekend, in in a return to a very tiny uh, comic book show venue, but a one that that blew up nonetheless. Uh, twice a year here in Southern California, a group of the biggest original art dealers gather and they show they throw a uh, a a. A, an original art show up in Los Angeles, not too far from Los Angeles International Airport. It is a, in a hotel. It's not even a ballroom. It's literally like two rooms. And uh, you literally get six tables down one side of the wall, two, you know, in the back, six again on the other side, and then another two facing the back. So, so right when you enter the room, uh, in the past, max capacity at this show, uh, as I've attended all of them, is in the 25 to 35 people range in a room that probably is only intended to hold maybe 100 people. Well, it got its test, its flex in yesterday when uh, I arrived 15 minutes after the show started at 10 a.m. And by 10.30, there is over 100 people in a comic book original art show. Now, let me tell you something. The average price for a comic book page at this show, the average price is like $4,000, $5,000. Okay, that, that is what the market has, has turned into now, is if you want a page of original art from comic books that you've enjoyed from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s now, you're going to be paying somewhere in the, the thousands range. P pages don't really exist for the hundreds. Um, you can't walk in and get one of your favorite artists and, and expect to spend anything less than, than a couple thousand dollars for a splash page, for an interior page, for cover. And uh, it was great to see uh, that so many people showed up for, there's no comic books for sale here. There's no, there's no paper comics, no graphic novels. It's literally large 11 by 17 art that has been, you know, crafted as part of the comic book experience. So this is the the pen and the ink work. Sometimes just pencils, okay. Um, but but some some of them have even watercolor, some some dye on them. Uh, but but this is original art. And normally the uh, the people who show up for this are are showing up, uh, you know, to to admire, to trade, to hope, hopefully purchase some art. And now. It really has turned into more of a 
hey, I just want to look at the art that's in the portfolios. I actually ran into a number of people yesterday that said, oh, I could never afford this stuff. I just want to look at the art that's in the portfolio, see it up close and personal, which it's it's almost like you're going into an interactive museum. You're going into to, to a to a interactive experience where you get to flip through all of this high-end artwork. Now, the higher-end artwork is on the walls behind them, and these are impressive. I mean, covers from Star Wars, Superman, Thor, Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Batman, everything in between. Um, and, and, and we are seeing prices at at an all-time high and and I am telling you one of the dealers in the room I know all of them very well one of the dealers in the room 4 years ago we went out to lunch and uh this dealer told me the the prices can't sustain themselves and and this hobby is going to crash and he said how many magazines paper articles do your kids read Liefeld now again this is so so you got to scale back my kids at that point are are 18 they're, no, they're 17, they're, they're uh, 15 and 14. And he says, how, come on, how many magazines, how many paper products have your kids held a newspaper in their hand? He's, he's a really enjoyable guy, love him to death, but had a bit of a dire cynical outlook. And I, I remember going home going, wow, you're right. Cause he said, all they do is scroll. All they do is scroll. This is a, this is a digital existence that, that is now part of our, our everyday lives and people are abandoning print material. So he's very dire, very, you know, and he said, I don't think these prices on, on this, on this art are going to hold. I don't know when the bubble's going to burst. Well, from that point forward and, and, and years prior to that, the prices on this stuff had been going up Again, Supply is in demand when there is only one single copy of every page. The great thing about original art is if you love that one page, that John Byrne drew of Wolverine battling Wendigo, that is all there is. There is no second version of that. There is one single copy, one original, and whoever obtains it will have possession of it, right? This isn't like multiple editions with different grades, a 9.6, a 9.8. I mean, it may have a fold in the page, but it's the original. It's the one single copy. This is original art. This is These are works of... Of art, many of them, in in my opinion, masterpieces. So much, so much of this is genius work. Obviously, I love the craft. I'm born of the craft. I I exist within the craft. But this uh, this this idea that it was going to pop. Okay, now now we are four years past 2017 when when we had this kind of dire discussion at lunch. And I see him often. I buy from him a lot. And uh, because I'm I'm if if you guys didn't already know this, I am an avid avid collector, um, an avid collector of original art. I have, uh, built up a, a really nice collection in my opinion, myself. And, uh, and I, and I know a lot of what everyone else has, everybody kind of in this business who collects at the high end. And really right now there is nothing but the high end. Again, that's a kind of the fair warning. Um, while the, we, we've read this last six months of NFTs and these, these non-fungible token digital arts booming. Well, that's been happening with the paper art for a very long time. And, uh, and, and, you know, there was a cover, a, a new cover that I hadn't seen that, uh, that another dealer, I would, I would say he's the biggest dealer in the business. Either he's, he's, he's one A or one B to another gentleman, but he, uh, he is an amazing collector dealer, uh, 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 of, of original art. And, uh, he showed me a brand new cover he had that completely fit my entire wish list category. And, you know, it's it's $100,000. It's $100,000. He he had recently obtained it. And at, the, at today at this show, because these dealers come, two are from Southern California. And uh, one is from San Francisco and one is from New York. And again, they put on a really beautiful original art show. And I watched trades being made yesterday, covers for splash page, five interior pages for a cover. I mean, there, there's some really great trades going down. I came back with a couple pages of art myself, um, some some stuff that I hadn't seen before that was being fresh, freshly unveiled because a guy was trading uh, stuff from his collection and he had come from Arizona and was trading for a cover from a guy, I, one of the dealers here in Southern California. And as a part of that deal, he dealt a number of pages. And in that page was a, a in that allotment of pages that he traded for was a page I've 
from a book I've been looking to have pages from to, to own. So I immediately swooped in and, and grabbed that after the trade went down. This is kind of the excitement of the show. But the point of the show is over 100 people there. Way more, three times the largest crowd that this original art show has seen. Not a comic book in sight. Only comic book, um, only comic book uh, original artwork. Now, Mike Mignola was the guest as he was two years ago at this show when it was 25 people in there. What, what was going on yesterday, because he had about the same amount of people around his table as he did last time. Again, it's an art show. Um, it not, not, not hugely advertised. It's quiet. It's kind of word of mouth. But um, I did bump into the guys who had flown in from New York, who had flown in from Texas, who had flown in from Chicago. People wanted to come, and, 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 and this is the point. They wanted to get out. We've been in this pandemic. We've been locked up for really, ultimately, somewhere between 15 and 16 months. Our freedoms are now being restored. The world is, is moving on. You know, most everybody that I know is, is getting vaccinated. And, and if you're not, that's your own personal issue. That's, that's, I'm not here to, 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 to weigh that at all. I just, no masks, uh, maybe a couple guys who had them on, but it, it felt like, it felt like for the very first time, uh, like the comic book convention experiences at the end of 2019 before uh, 2020 rolled in and very early on in the, that calendar year did we experience this crushing pandemic. People yesterday, of the multi, uh, again, 100 people in this room is tight. It's tight. It's a tiny room. Um, they were talking comic books. They were talking new releases. They were talking movies. People just wanted to get back to the clubhouse. That's it. It's the clubhouse experience. The original art was the excuse to get out and join with the brethren, with the, with the fellow clubhouse members, and talk shop, talk comics, talk art. I was caught over in the corner with a couple of my buddies. We grabbed a couple of chairs. We talked for an hour just about comics and storylines and artists. And then standing in front of the different dealers and flipping through their um, their collections. And, and, and then you you find yourself talking to the guy who's flipping to the, through the portfolios next to you. And you're comparing prices. And God bless the dealers that have the prices on the page. That That is so fantastic. And uh, the high end has definitely, definitely gone higher. Last year, I'm talking six months. Six months ago, pages that were 8,000 are now 12,000. Pages that were 12,000, pages that I debated buying that were 12,000 are now 20 to 22,000. This, um, everyone agrees that the action going on at the auctions, the Heritage Auction, the Comic Link Auction, the Comic Connect Auction, these auctions are driving the idea that this stuff is even more valuable. Now, I don't know whether it is or not. It is worth what you choose to pay for it. And if you want it, generally, you'll find a way to obtain it. That's been my experience. So, you know, you just, even if the price rises, you just figure, well, if I buy in now, I can, I can now stop this, you know, raising of prices. Guys like myself, I'm not a flipper. I, I, I haven't really sold original artwork in 20 years of, of stuff that I've obtained. My early original art that I obtained in, in my younger career, I did end up selling a great amount of it. Now what I've obtained in the 20 years since, 22 years since, I have I have kept under lock and key. I, I want to, you know, uh, carry this with me, give it to my family, you know, share it. My own personal artwork. I'm sitting on tons and tons and tons of pages, entire bodies of work. Um, have I sold uh, a lot of the stuff that was in the 90s just like, my, my peers did, yes. Eric Larson has no Spider-Man pages. Jim Lee has very few X-Men, if any. Todd has very few Spider-Man pages. I have very few X-Force New Mutants pages, okay? But we have we have fair amount of our image work. Prophet, Youngblood for, for myself. Uh, Spawn for Todd. So, so but but that late, that early 90s, late 80s Marvel work, none of the artists really, none of us really have. And I think Mark Silvestri, some of his artwork got lost. So, so... So of my own stuff, I am squatting, I am carrying a great deal of it. But when I, what, I've, what I've purchased and put away in my collection, the stuff that I am um, going after that, that excited me in my childhood, much of it pages from books that I've talked to you on this podcast, I've got that in my lockbox, in my safe, okay? And, and so I'm not trading. So when I buy it, and if I buy it and it, and it went up, and now I'm like, oh man, I can't afford to let this slip by my fingers again. So I'm going to stop it right here. I'm going to buy it. Well, for me, 
that's not for me to trade upon or to sell again. Maybe, maybe they will go up in price. But these prices, as they escalate, you can either buy it at that price or watch it in six months. In one case, I'm going to tell you four weeks ago, I held a page in my hand. It was a piece of John Bernard. It was a piece of Iron Fist John Bernard. It was $8,000. It was then immediately. Yesterday, it had changed hands. And that, that it had changed hands in a sale that took place about 10 days ago. And in the process of that, it is now $22,000 from this guy who is selling it. So go figure. Um, the access to this art, having being able to look through it, flip through it at a show like this is amazing. If I know there are shows like this in the New York area. New York and LA are mainly where the heavy hitters um, are, are, are situated with all of their collections. And there is a consortium. Now, uh, uh, some of these New York guys like to fly in for the weekend, do the LA scene, bring their considerable collections. But uh, LA and New York have these have these kind of twice, you know, twice yearly uh, uh, art shows. And if you get a chance to check them out, it's awesome because there's people there who want to see the art up close and personal. And I saw younger fans. I saw 20 year old fans, guys who came up to uh, introduce themselves to me, said they were 30 year old fans. That th this seeing the original art, being able to see it on the volume that it was presented in this room yesterday. Uh, would I say there was a thousand pages yesterday? I would. There was a thousand pages under that roof of amazing art from the 50s all the way to, you know, last week. And so it's an awesome, amazing opportunity to get together and to peruse um, history. I mean, literally, Jack Kirby, John Byrne, Frank Miller, Joe Rubenstein, George Perez, my entire peer group, um, Wally Wood, Jerry Ordway, Ross Andrew, uh, I mean, just Garcia Lopez, Neil Adams, everyone's represented. All the different artists. These guys have killer, killer, killer collections. And again, watching some of them flip from a guy last Tuesday to a guy yesterday and carry that 10,000 bump in, in, in ask because again, these uh, these auctions, comic, comic uh, link and heritage are, are increasing. They are increasing. In regards to um, how they are, uh, just you know, putting on their auctions. I mean, six times a year, and then they make sure they don't they don't cross over. So so two weeks after Heritage Comics Link goes up, and then three weeks after Comics Link Heritage goes up, and then another two weeks. It's always these auctions are there. They are grabbing big eyeballs, and I will close out this section with actually a comic book that last week, last Thursday night, a copy, a nine six graded slabbed copy of X-Men number one, 1962, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, unsigned, at auction at Comic Connect, sold for $702,000. About two hours before, it was at $596,000. Comic Connect sold an X-Men number one for $702,000. A comic book that was at one point 12 cents, 10 cents, however that X-Men number one cost, 15 cents yielded a, a high-grade, albeit high-grade 9.6, $702,000. It's on record. It, that, 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 that was an absolute closing auction price. There was, I believe, 60 bids. You could see that it was bid up throughout. And uh, so the hobby and the appreciation for the hobby, whether it's the art or the vintage books, is going nowhere. It's here to stay. It's strong. It's, it's actually the strongest it's ever been. Those comics you bought, have tremendous value. Not all of them, but a great deal of them. Not all of anything is going to have tremendous value. Not all cars, not all comics, okay? But this is an amazing time in this hobby and in this industry. And 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 the uh, interest is, is exploding. But yesterday, the tribe, the, the clubhouse, the tribes wanted to get back together. They wanted to talk comic books. They wanted to rub shoulders after really, I mean, being locked down. And it makes you wonder, what are these shows going to feel and look like as we re-embrace, as we get out there. I did some store signings in the spring uh, for, for the Deadpool 30th, and they're, they're, they were enormous. We, we were actually, we were doing all the social distancing practices at the time. Now that all that stuff is being alleviated somewhat, I am uh, really amazed at, at the amount of volume, at the people showing up the people who want to get out, who want to share this hobby. And, and, and in some of the Facebook uh, uh, 
reports of people who attended the show yesterday by, by, you know, obviously Sunday evening, people are talking about this. They're like, it was just so good to be with people talking comic books, enjoying the hobby. It's, I mean, again, it's, I mean, I do this on the podcast twice a week. So, you know, but I love talking with, with friends, with people, with people I haven't seen. And and look, the the last show in November, uh, obviously the world was crazy. No one knew where things stood. Were we going back into lockdown, which of course we did. It was a limited opening. There was three of us in this room, three of us last November, cut to now a hundred in a room that really can't fit more than a hundred. Huge, huge success, huge desire, huge passion to get together to jam, to talk comics. So that is, um, I, I see good things, the hobby, the collectible, the art, if you can see original art, look, it Maybe you don't love it, but you'll share it with a friend and a friend will get into it and someone will get turned on to the hobby because the original art is very interesting. There were two guys who were preparing to make their first purchases yesterday. They they were wondering which page should be their first and they'll remember it for the rest of their lives. I know the first page that I bought and 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 it will, you'll remember that experience and, and you'll remember whether you're a teenager or whether you're 40 years old. On the flip of that is DC Comics Explosion, which turned into DC Comics Implosion. Okay, so again, I'm going to start off that kids my age, what we saw in the stores was not in the stores, in every comic DC was producing in the um, in the in the summer, the spring of of 1978, 1978, and uh, a, a gentleman named Joe Staten, a gentleman named Joe Staten, he was a really um, talented penciler. Uh, I, in the same vein as a as a John Byrne, John Byrne would just take it in a more commercial manner, but um, kind of halfway in between that cartoony, realistic, you know, sense. But I I believe like one of the best illustrations he ever depicted is a full page ad that DC Comics started dropping in all their comics in the spring of 1978. Because this is where we're going to start, and we'll backtrack and we'll work around this. But this ad by Joe Staten is 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 so great, and it is this kind of heroes standing in this half circle, okay? And they are all, you're going to hear the pages of all these different comics that I've earmarked as I'm going to share this with you today. So so forgive me again if you hear the wisp of these pages going by uh, during the podcast. It is absolutely the magazines, the comics that I've earmarked to share this with you. So <clears throat> this full page ad, it says beginning June 1st, the DC Comics explosion with a giant yellow burst sound effect. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, FX around it. You know, jagged explosion lines, the DC bullet, the DC explosion. More pages, more stories, and the most exciting superheroes in all of comics. And it has Hawkman standing there with his with his mace. It has Big Barda, okay? It has Big Barda from, from Jack Kirby's New Gods in all her warrior stance. It's got Enemy Ace, one of the, the, the World War II heroes that DC had. It has Airwave. Okay, this this uh, this this re- revamp of an existing character, Airwave. It has Omac, my personal favorite Jack Kirby creation of all time, One Man Army Corps. Omac standing there. Okay, um, next to Omac, you had you had uh, you had the Atom, the, the little the little Atom, you know, who who shrinks, kind of like Ant Man. <clears throat> you got Wonder Woman. In like Amazon garb with her with her sword and her sandals, she looks very Greek era. Not the Wonder Woman that we, that we know. It's got Martian Manhunter, and then rounding up. So so t- at the at the, the the closest figure to us on the right is Dead Man. Okay, uh, a, a character that that we don't talk about often. One of Neil Adams' um, signature contributions, Dead Man. And and on the and on the uh, the, the cl- figure closest to us on the left is Hawkman. It is Hawkman. And then slowly going back, standing in this half circle is, as, as I said, Enemy Ace, Big Barda, Airwave, Omac, Adam, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter. And it says, watch for full details next month. There is going to be an explosion. DC is adding comics, adding pages, more stories, exciting heroes. Okay, this, uh, the ad was running in all the comics that spring. Again, it's got a date, June First, did you know that, and I didn't know this, but by the time this ad saw print, DC had already canceled this, okay? 
This is this is the best. By the time this saw print, and I held it in my hands in the spring of 78. And where did I get my comics in the spring of 78? You guys, um, so, so th there's the original, you know, uh, Four Lights on Magnolia. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, on Magnolia and Broadway where I grew up. And, I've, and if you've listened to the show, you've heard me invoke these four corners so often. The liquor store, the 7-Eleven, the Pizza Hut, and the Stater Brothers. Three of those, obviously not the Pizza Hut, carried comic books. The liquor store had the best, the absolute best distribution. This is going to come into play today. I've, I, I, Because I, uh, we're going to get to the nitty gritty of why comic books were in those markets to begin with. And, and what, what uh, why really the DC explosion implosion led to you buying comic books from your comic store today. And that's how what happened yesterday is affecting you today. The direct market was born. It was it was it was bubbling, but it hadn't it hadn't exploded until the distribution of comic books was the biggest threat to comic books. And the explosion that DC was planning was to combat that, to get people to buy more, to rack more and and price points were a huge piece of all of this plan in order to help comic books thrive, and specifically DC Comics, who was struggling. By the time this ad is in my hands in the spring of 78, they had already canceled it. Um, <laughs> um, the, the, the explosion was, it was too late. The, the, the decision came in to, to kill all this. And, and instead, what occurred is 17 comics got canceled. Instead of adding to the line, and why that happened is because the big brass walked in the big brass, the management, you hear about management all the time. What did management do? What did management do? Well, management here walked in and said, it's over. It's, it's not happening. Um, they, they, uh, they arrived and the people at Warner, the management felt that they had finally unlocked the key to the struggle that the publishing line was having. And that struggle was the fact that, uh, that the, the line of comic books had been losing money for years, that they were slowly uh, losing money. And that rather than try and increase the volume of the books, rather than, 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 than try to, uh, to, to solve this problem of why aren't our books selling better, they realized that we've been dropping in sales for years, okay? And, uh, and, and, and what, what is better than, than us trying to chase this new explosion and, and, and which came with higher price comic books, they were going to jump the line by 15% in, to, 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 to carry these plans. They were gonna, their main, main line was going to go from $0.35 cents to $0.50, cents, and DC had an also aggressive line of dollar books that they were going to share with you so that so that, that that suddenly now this is this is a dollar book is what Sports Illustrated cost, what Time magazine cost, what Newsweek cost. The cut off that was so much better. You're now getting a percentage off a dollar instead of a percentage off 35 cents. And and again, 15 cents, whatever profit is is built in, is is not a whole lot to incentivize these 7-Elevens, these liquor stores, these markets to carry the product. And uh, because, you know, that's why they carried it. The liquor store, the 7-Eleven, all these places that I'm talking about. And the liquor store, they told me once, the guy said, oh, we, we, we carry the comics because the kids love it. And when the kids come in, they always buy candy bars. So the comic books were, were the bait to get the kids into the 7-Eleven, to get the kids over to that certain area in the marketplace to get those kids into, you know, if, if they were coming in with their dad to the liquor store and dad was buying some tequila, some wine, that, that Billy or Robbie would buy a comic book and a Snicker bar and an M&M's and a, you know, whatever, fill it out. Um, and I was filling out on that candy bar, I can tell you that much. Um, but but the, the bottom line is that uh, Warner Brothers walked in and they made an unprecedented move that before this entire movement got off the got off uh, the ground, they felt that we are not going to pursue this aggressive line 
of adding 50 cent books on on um, on 40 page comics, you know, because they're they're going to add pages and then increase the price for 15 cents, and then this dollar line of books, it's it's over, it's done, and this line of books was what was going to give you OMAC and and Airwave and New Hawkman and Enemy Ace and Expanded Wonder Woman and Dead Man and and the Atom, all those characters that I sh- shared with you, they had been those stories had been. They were being produced. Artists and writers had been hired. They had expanded their hiring. DC had forked out more money to expand, and uh, and 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 uh, you know the 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 Warner Brothers guys just said we have been losing numbers on comic books. We have been selling fewer individual comics for ten years. We are not going to compensate this by putting out more titles. We are going to cut across the board. Now, it was said that they got a 40% staff firing. Six editors fired, different staffers fired, and you know DC kind of brushed back. Some of the people said it's actually more like a 20% firing, splitting hairs, 20%, 40%. They can, they can cut back and say, well, we actually had this many people on staff, not this many people, but people like Larry Hama, who would go on to create all of your favorite GI Joe characters, Snake Eyes and and Scarlet and 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 uh, and Storm Shadow. Larry Hama was on staff during this implosion. Larry Hama was let go. Um, the, the names that you know of, that you've heard of, were lost their jobs as a result. Now, as an aside, was Marvel Comics then hiring? Yes, Jim Shooter is quoted as saying the line of unemployed DC freelancers was out the door. Could they hire all of them? No, but suddenly they had a better pick. Um, of, 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 of who they could use to produce their comic books. And, uh, you know, uh, then shortly after, Marvel did jump from 35 cents to 40 cents following this implosion. Now, I've just told you that there was an explosion planned and that it was immediately followed by an implosion because those books didn't come out. And they had to explain in newsletters because, here, let, 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 let's, let's lay the foundation of what was sent. First of all, in a letter sent. DC had a mailing list. You got a mailer if you were a DC fan club and 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 part of their DC direct currents. Um, also, retailers, everyone got this letter and it said, special report, DC Comics is going to 40 pages. And it says, uh, starting with the DC Comics scheduled to go on sale in June, we will no longer be publishing 32-page comics. From that moment forward, DC Comics except for our dollar comics line, we'll be publishing 40 interior pages all for 50, with all new stories for 50 cents. And, 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 he, and he talks, uh, Mike Gold, who was the marketing manager at that time, who wrote this, and he says, we are not going to stop there. Even as these words are being printed, no less than three brand new titles are also being planned. And he talks about some of these books that are going to be coming back and firing them up. And he says, we are um, going all in coming out of this in June. Just think about it. In these days of rising prices, and in, in rising prices, we're doing the near impossible. And in all caps, DC Comics whips inflation. Stay tuned. There will be more details ahead. Now, now check this out. Then, then... Jeanette Kahn, who was the publisher of DC Comics at the time, she writes in every comic book printed, every single comic book printed, okay? She has what is called a publishorial. The publishorial. It appears in all of the books um, that were going on sale in June 1978 that were cover dated with September. Because the books that you're getting, you're always getting three to four months what if that if there's that cover date on it back in the Bronze Age, count back. It didn't come out in September. If it says September, it came out in June. Just count back four months. Jeanette Kahn, the publisher, her editorial says, changes. These days, they're coming fast and furious. As you've no doubt noticed, we've raised our price this month. Not totally shocking, as comics have gone up in price for every 15 months, but not so for the past five or six years. Hopefully, you've noticed that the number of pages in our standard comic books have also increased. We've added eight pages of all-new story, no ads, no reprints, along with along with our price increase. With the single exception of our story-packed dollar comic line, this is the first time anybody in the field is not giving you less for your money. 
In fact, it's a 47% gain in story for a 43% price raise. Of course, we didn't have to do this. We could have tacked on another five cents for those 17-page stories we were giving you. Before long, other publishers will be charging 40 cents for their 17-page stories unless they follow our lead and provide more story pages for you. You'll be paying 2.35 cents per page a story for their comics. And she's talking about Marvel. That's their rival. And only two cents for ours. That's like getting about three more pages free from every DC Comics. I don't want to bore you with ever raising cost of absolutely everything. Every time anybody adds another nickel to the cost of a standard comic book, somebody com composes a little essay about how phone calls used to be five cents and hot dogs were a dime. But we don't want to take from our loyal readers and even our casual readers, without giving at least as much in return. We are excited. We believe in the 50-cent comic book, she says. Well, again, this is in every DC comic published that month. We're excited. We believe in the 50-cent comic book, like the highly successful dollar comic package we've introduced, will be a more attractive product for the retailer as well as for the reader. Being in a more profitable format for the retailer, our comics should be easier to find. Turning the page... Some places that don't carry comics will be now carrying DC comics because of what we're doing. Most harder to find comics will get better distribution. Better still, the 25 pages of story format gives us something we haven't had for the better part of a decade. The chance to do full-length stories with fully developed subplots and characterizations. We also have the chance to bring back some of your favorite characters that haven't been able to carry an entire 17-page comic book title. Enemy Ace, The Hitman, The Target, Adam, Omak. And for example, we're, we're going to ex uh, introduce a number of new characters for more experimental nature. Cinnamon, the odd man, the Amazons. Cinnamon was a female uh, cowboy, uh, 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 female in the in, in Western. The new format gives us room to experiment. You'll see the Return of Swamp thing, original characters like the Vixen, new Western and war titles. We've even been able to schedule a couple of titles which will represent some of the best DC comics printed in the past four decades. Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson's Manhunter series, the Batlash books, and so on. And we'll also be making the dollar comics look even more attractive because starting this month, we're taking out all the ads. All the ads are gone. You're getting an additional page or two of story, but now you'll have the freedom to run two more page spreads and wraparound covers. The dollar comics, including our latest edition, Adventure Comics, will now have 68 pages of all new story. No pages of ads. We've been calling this the DC explosion, and that's what it truly is. An explosion of new ideas, new concepts, new characters, new formats, and we now have a near limitless opportunity to experiment, to do longer and indeed better stories. We couldn't do it without the encouragement and boundless energy of our creative staff. From our new talents like Marshall Rogers and Joe Staten, to established pros like Jerry Conway and Len Wein, veterans like Kurt Swan and Ross Andrew, to each and every creator working with us, my deepest and sincerest thanks. And to our faithful readers who have shown us so much support and enthusiasm since we've started planting this seeds of chains, I offer my thanks. We honestly could not have done it without you. But, and... I know you're expecting this. We're not stopping here. Even as I write words, these words, I have working proposals on my desk for no less than 10 brand new comic book projects, all of which are new titles. We're continuing to grow and branch out to boldly go where com no comic book company has gone before. And we are glad you're here with us every step of the way. Take care, Jeanette Kahn, publisher, DC Comics. I know that was long-winded, but you needed to hear exactly what was going on in regards to what DC had planned. DC was the number two comic company by, the, by this time. I need to stress that. Marvel was outselling them quite routinely, quite regularly, but they were owned by Warner Brothers, Warner Communications. And you know, in the last year, we've seen AT&T takeover and 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 then we've uh we've now got discovery well, i'm going to read you something from 1975 several three years earlier okay a uh a business writer for the fair fairchild publications industry observer of all published magazines so time sports illustrated newsweek all of your big life magazine and also they took into account comic books this guy joe Bronconelli. According to best calculations that I could compile from the Postal Service records, the Audit Bureau of Circulation, the ABC, Audit Bureau of Circulation, notices and a series of conversations with the nation's leading independent magazine distributors. Comic book sales are down 30% the last 6 to 12 months, 
and they are getting worse. This is, this is, I'm sorry, this is May 1976, two years prior to this. I said 1975, it's May 1976. My records show comic book sales down about 50%, one half since July 1975. An executive of the nation's leading independent distributor of comic books. Uh, his gloomy assessment of the comic book business is shared by most in the independent uh, distribution market. They are unhappy with the comic book business. They don't make much money, even when comics are selling well. Most of them plainly indicate they're not about to keep concentrating on comic books if sales continue to drop. Without an independent distribution plan, there is there will be no comic books. None. Goodbye. Pack it in and blow it away. That is a writer for Fairchild Publications, a comic industry and magazine observer, and Joe Broncatelli, Broncatelli was telling you what he read from the audits from the circulation papers. It was a grim picture. Now, factor in that right here, Warner Brothers, also from the same article by Joe Broncatelli, Fairfield Publications, he says, Warner Communications, Warner Brothers, publishing division, had its second consecutive, the publishing, publishing division had the second consecutive yearly loss of $5 million. Even the final disposal of Warner's money-eating foreign publishing operation will not offset the 1976 declines. Moreover, the two-year loss of a combined $10 million in publishing is very unfavorable with, and you, where have you heard this before, with Warner's three other wholly-owned divisions, Warner Records and Music. So, the, the 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 cassettes the musics uh, the, the 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 records earned 96.8 million profit in the exact time period where publishing lost 10 million warner tv and motion pictures made 95.6 million profit in 1974 and 1975 in the same time that publishing lost 10 million and 1975 marked the first profitable year for warner's touted, much touted cable communication division where they made a profit of $2 million. So look at these other divisions. They're making almost $100 million each in music and, and, and movies and television. And then the cable business, which is just getting started, is already out with $2 million in profits. Comic books are losing money. So imagine what these people had to deal with. They're always trying to come up with solutions. The idea that when he says, unless there is a, a form of distribution that pops up, independent distribution, comic books are over, they'll be gone. So let's go back to that. Let's go back to my four corners. The set, the liquor store went out of business. The 7-Eleven stayed. The Stater Brothers went out of business. So in my childhood, that, that period from 1974 to 1979, where I bought comic books, I lost two of my distribution centers. We moved into a new neighborhood and they had a Foodland and a Utotem and a 7-Eleven. The Utotem went out of business. The Foodland stopped carrying comic books. What, the common denominator in both neighborhoods is the 7-Eleven. The 7-Eleven continued to carry comics throughout the, seven, throughout the 90s. But what this gentleman proposed, that is the, the easiest way to explain to you, that unless the direct market opened up and unless non-returnable sales were established with what I started this entire episode off, the clubhouses, the tribes, where people gathered to buy only comic books and didn't worry about, are they going to upsell it with a candy bar and a Gatorade or a soda, okay? Comic book stores were already starting to, 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 to show up in major metropolitan areas in Chicago and LA and New York in the 70s. And then, and then it, it, the sales and the marketing divisions in these companies after this explosion, which happened because Warners walked in one day and said, we've studied the numbers. We've studied 10 years of distribution. You're losing sales every single year. And what they had said is, and, you, and you've made up for it by scaling back costs. That's how you've hidden. Remember when I said earlier in a, pop, in, in a podcast, six, seven months back, it's about DC Comics. Paul Levitz is like, we're the best number two. I love being number two. He wanted as we can see was going on here for 10 years up until the implosion the the, the numbers were were somewhat hidden they weren't really paying attention but when the the bean counters came in and saw that DC Comics was losing every single year this 1976 
report says somewhere between 30 and 50%. He says 30% for 12 months, but definitely in six months, in his six-month study, comic books across the board, Marvel and DC, had lost 50% of their sales. Star Wars was the big difference for Marvel Comics, as we've covered so many times. Getting that license and, and, and those books. Remember, Star Wars wasn't just a line of 35-cent comic books. They sold millions, seven figures of their treasury editions that were a dollar, a dollar fifty. Then they combined all six issues, two dollars, okay? Marvel had taken Star Wars. They sold bagged, collected copies in in the department stores, in the Sears, in the JCPenney, in the in the Kmarts. There was, you'd get shrink-wrapped, you know, three Star Wars comics and the other issues four, five, and six were in a separate shrink-wrap. Issues one, two, and three were in a, so you had to buy both shrink-wraps. So, so they were starting to figure out it was way more than a 35-cent comic book for them. Then they did Trade Digest, their little reprint comics. I mean, Marvel took Star Wars to the bank to seven figures and above and turned their red ink to a flood of black ink. Interesting to note, Superman the movie was supposed to come out the summer of 1978. It was supposed to follow the slot of Star Wars. You know, you will believe a man can fly. Kids my age know how influential that ad. Uh, Christopher Reeve, the visuals, all of it was. But at the end, it was announced in March of 1978 that summer was off the table. It was going to be a Christmas movie. DC had actually planned several of those books that Jeanette said were on her desk. And she says they're all new characters, a little misleading. One of them was a Superman team-up book called DC Comics Presents that they had to go ahead and release anyway. It was on. They had already spent money. They had hired. They had Superman special, Superman versus Wonder Woman, Superman versus Muhammad Ali was coming out all in the hopes it would capitalize on the summer release of Superman the movie in 1978. DC people deny that that release schedule had anything to do with it. I call absolute 100% poppycock. There's an earlier um, report that reads, I mean, imagine this. Before Carmen Infantino is fired and Jeanette Kahn is hired, she becomes the publisher in 76, 75, 76. Uh, it, it's right after Spider-Man, Superman, their combined... Uh, publication with with Marvel Comics, which which according to DC Comics they sold six hundred thousand copies, and that was a buck fifty. You know that was an expensive comic, and now they split it between both companies. But regardless, they had generated a huge amount on a giant project working together, Spider-Man, Superman. Carmen Infantino was fired because of the struggling line, the, the the sales, and that they were losing to Marvel. And Jeanette was hired. She came from book publishing and kids publishing to really zhuzh up the line. And again, this, this expanded. We're going to get to a dollar. What, what distributors were saying is I make a lot more money off selling a, a, a Newsweek or a Sports Illustrated because that's a buck. And, and now they're keeping 50 cents. They're not keeping 15 cents or a dime. Okay. The, the, it, it, and, and, and one of the um, reports in here and this magazine, this distribution magazine, says that most newsstands have 50 to 100 slots on their newsstand. Not the, not the, uh, the Stater Brothers, not, not the grocery stores, not the 7-Eleven. Newsstands, of which there are still in the Valley, in Los Angeles, newsstands. They, they take up almost three quarters of a block. They say they have 100 to, to 200 slots max. Some have 50 to 100, some have 100 to 200. And so with, you know, think about it. you're competing with good housekeeping. You're competing with, you know, catalogs. You're competing with um, um, all of the, the, the mechanical magazines, the car magazines, the gun magazines, the sports magazines, the news magazines. Comic books had to earn their way. And because comic books weren't as expensive as these other magazines, again, which would you rather be selling? One copy of Life magazine or make sure that you sold five to six comic books to make what that one life magazine was going to give you. So they are doing a dollar line of which I bought. I loved them. The whole thing is I, I was like the Tom Brevorts, the Mark Wades, the Kurt Busiek's who have talked about this in the past, who in different interviews said, Oh man, I was so looking forward to that DC explosion. We all mentioned that ad that I described to you with OMAC and enemy ace and dead man and Hawkman. The DC explosion is coming. I mean, wow. Little did we know it was already completely sidelined and it didn't happen. What happened to all those stories? What happened to all that work? All the, all the freelancers that, that started that Jim Starlin, cosmic Captain Marvel, Adam Warlock, infinity war, infinity gauntlet. Jim Starlin was doing OMAC. Okay. In, in his prime with the same anchor that was doing, you know, the Avengers and the Warlock and the Captain Marvel stuff, Joe Rubenstein, they were an amazing team. 
I own five of the eight OMAC pages that they started. They cut the first OMAC issue into three back issue stories and put them in Warlord in 1980. All of this stuff, it took about a year to reroute it all. But they started taking these books that it was that there was only one or two that had been produced and they put them as backup stories. I loved, I wanted OMAC so bad. And like I said, now I own the original art as I look to collect. I'll never collect. I know some of those pages are gone in other people's black hole collections. But I wanted to, I, I loved OMAC. It didn't happen. It was delayed. It became a backup feature a year and a half later in a comic book that I also loved called Warlord. But they became backup. They became filler. And what they did in 1980 was advertise or once again, a smaller version of what was planned with the explosion. We're going to we're going to add pages because they had all this inventory, all these stories that they had commissioned, all this art that suddenly they didn't know. They they canceled seventeen titles. So that is why <clears throat> it is called this DC Comics implosion. The line went from you know fifty comics to thirty three comics. Okay, I mean they they scaled back immediately because Warners walked in and said, this isn't happening. We're pulling this. We're not financing this. Pull the plug. Now, how did the comics industry at the time of which it was very, you know, very, uh, <clears throat> very minimal, but right before the plug was pulled, Jim Shooter of Marvel Comics is quoted. I don't, in June 1978, I don't like DC's approach to the DC explosion. I don't think it's going to work. Obviously, the people above me don't think so either. The business people at Marvel or else I'd be hearing from them to replicate it. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Let them mess around. If it works out, fine. If it doesn't, then they're the ones who have to clean up the mess. It's their experiment. It would be uh, logical that they are the ones who need to experiment. Marvel Comics is doing great. Again, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. This is his, his, this is his you know, business is never better approach. Um, we have the lowest price package in the market, and there's an awful lot of kids who are going to opt for our package, our lower price package especially because I think the books are better. This is Jim Shooter, okay? Um, Mike Gold, the guy who sent out the original letters saying, we're increasing, we're expanding. The head of marketing, if the absolute worst happens to us, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd hope that we go up to 48 pages at a higher price, then revert to the 32-page format. The 32-page should have never happened. It certainly should have been killed off back in the 60s when the 48-pagers returned three quarters of a decade ago. Okay, so so there were already kind of Plan Bs before this launches. There was already there was already kind of a Plan B because because people saw the writing on the wall. They saw uh, this is a big risk, and and this may not um, this may not work out. And and so you know, as I said, staffers lost their job. People were let go. Um, you know, uh, uh, one of the editors, uh, you know, at at DC said he came in and he closed his office door. And he, uh, he said, you know, um, my staff, we get to stay. He got the word that he could stay. Jack C. Harris told his staff the day when the news was coming down, he said, he said, I get to stay. Mike Gold, the guy who informed you that they were going to expand and then just said, you know, we, we, we should go, we shouldn't do the 32 page. We should stay with 48 pages. Um, he says, when the news came down, there is an era aura of depression here in D.C., some people are not going to make it through. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they went from this, hey, everybody, we're expanding, to everything got rolled back. Everything got um, got killed. Jeanette Kahn, the publisher of DC, and she would go on to continue. She's the publisher for when Alan Mortis, you know, Watchmen, Swamp Thing. She's there for some glory days. The 80s turns everything around because the direct market happens. As a result of this, they have to build up an independent distribution center, which will become your local comic book store. My my comic book store experiences in my neighborhood started in the 80s. In 1981, I started hearing of dedicated comic book stores. They put ads in the in the newspapers. They put ads in the yellow pages. You'd call them up. Are you a comic book store? Yes, we've just opened. Come on down. There were two in Fullerton. There was one in Garden Grove. Eventually, there would be maybe more than necessary in the 90s, and, and, and some became fly-by-night. But the, the publisher of DC Comics says... I can only say that we are part of a larger corporation and that everything happens to the subdivisions of which they are, DC Comics, is a matter of concern to the entire corporation as well. We are dealing with interchanges on a daily basis 
as best we can. We're not in a issue to pub to issue. We are not in a position to put out a public statement at this time. We're just trying to deal with our own internal problems and the repercussions and the transitions of this implosion and make things as smooth and humane as possible. Again, because when you're canceling an explosion, again, they said the the reports were forty percent of DC staff was let go. Five editors and their staffs were let go. Larry Hama, Mr. Snake Eyes, he was one of them. Um, do I believe that the uh, that the Superman um, that the Superman movie uh, what, what was going to save things? I know it did. All the Superman stuff jumped, jumped. Christmas '78, DC Comics started selling better than ever, and somewhere upstairs, the corporation said we did the right thing. We wouldn't be, you know, enjoying this if we hadn't made this whole scale cutback. And 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 that everything Superman, Superman magazines, kind of the same success that happened with Star Wars on a slightly lesser basis because it wasn't the same blockbuster level, but Superman was a massive, it was a blockbuster. It just wasn't a mega blockbuster. And everything Superman started to sell, sell for them being released in the Christ, in Christmas of 78 meant all the success to come was going to be experienced in 79. And of course, they fast-tracked that sequel and they got that out two years later. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, they say that once they scaled back, the books seem to be doing significantly better. The corporation believed that they made the absolute right call in, in cutting back and never letting this explosion happen. But, you know, there there are, in this, you can see David Michelini, who created Venom, who created Scott Lang Ant-Man, um, who created Carnage. He would, he would leave DC as a result of the implosion. Bob Layton, who went on to become a writer, artist, gave you Hercules, gave you a multi-year best-selling award-winning run on Iron Man. He was at DC at the time. He crossed the street to Marvel as a result of the implosion. This implosion had long-lasting repercussions on, um, on the comics industry. Talent left, the, the, and, and they never returned. And, and, and DC Comics, the great explosion there was never an ad that followed it up you just understood that wow suddenly there were less comic books on the spinner rack for dc all of those titles remember they they canceled not just plans for titles but existing titles and 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 they just scale back and 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 among the comic books that were um that were canceled were the uh, the 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 teen titans revival that was in the 70s before the george um perez um, revival that would go on to change the Titans to, to become a rival of, of you know, um, a rival of of the X-Men. But there was a Teen Titans that was going on in that, at that point. Super Teen Family was canceled. Secret Society of Supervillains was canceled. Shazam was canceled. Shade the Changing Man was canceled. Mr. Miracle was canceled. Karate Kid was canceled. The Freedom Fighters was canceled. Aquaman was canceled. The Teen Titans was canceled. There were a lot of books that DC had to pull the plug on. And that is not even adding all the ones that I just told you were coming. OMAC, Dead Man, Martian Manhunter, The Amazons, uh, Hawkman, The New Enemy Ace. All these books were canceled. All those writers and artists were put out of business in 1978. Now, because talent rises, they found other work. They got rebooted, whether at DC or the many of them who found their way to Marvel Comics, who then created some of the best Marvel Comics we ever got. Bob Layton and his um, impact at Marvel with the multi-year long Iron Man uh, storyline was a huge, huge success. David Michelini wrote that with him. Again, they went on and created Scott Lang and gave you the brand new Ant-Man. The Paul Rudd version that we have now was created by these guys. Um, I, I could I could continue on and on. I, I wanted to keep this very uh, finite, but just so that you understand, a plan to, to expand the line to become more competitive. And you can read in Jeanette's thing, like, you know, she mentions their competitor all the time. They only had one competitor. Warren Publishing was a horror line of magazines. They didn't even have, like, really comic books, okay? Archie Comics and 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 the Casper line, the, the Richie Rich, they didn't comp compete with Marvel. Marvel competed with DC. DC competed with Marvel. We're going to give you this much more than Marvel for this much more value. And they're giving you less. I mean, it was a, a, a gun-directed, completely at Marvel Comics. And it never got off the ground because the powers that be, who we hear about even to this day, will they keep publishing comics? Will will the current um, owners, this new discovery model, will they value comics? AT&T kind of didn't, I guess they just left them alone. They didn't really figure it out, except we're just one year away from a massive, I think 40% layoff at DC Comics. So what am I talking about? A year ago, last summer, all those DC people were fired. 
under AT&T, and now we're transitioning again. Again, management always looms. At Marvel, the management is now Kevin Feige. He is he controls publishing as well. As well, he gets to look at all of it. He sees what's going on. He obviously has great value for the comics. Marvel is in the safest place um, that they've I think ever been, given that he understands the intrinsic value that these sto- stories created by talent can feed into a giant, larger model that could become theme park rides, campuses, obviously tons of merchandise. And uh, speaking as a, as a guy who has fed into that machine, it can be profitable for both sides. DC Comics is still in the same quandary they were in 1978. This questionable, will they, won't they, what are they going to do, what, are the, what is management going to come down on? And, and you just you just never know. You can't even imagine. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what the future holds. But we can learn from the past that because of this implosion and suddenly less DC Comics, Marvel stepped in, tried to fill the gap as best they could, but not entirely. Maybe they added three to four more line uh, comics to their line. They certainly didn't add 14, 17 comics. The bottom line is this was the cold water in the face the industry needed. And they then moved to shoring up Uh, relationships with the mom and pop stores that were selling dedicated comics and giving, and and by 1980, uh, Moon Knight, which is obviously, you know, got Oscar Isaacs about to star in a Disney Plus store. Moon Knight was a comic book designed only for the direct market. At one point, the Micronauts, a huge toy line comic for Marvel, became direct only. You could only buy these in comic stores. They would not give them to the newsstand. They knew that the newsstand was going to be scaling back, that on my corner, that three of my distribution units went to one, okay? And in my other neighbor th- neighborhood, three of my distribution units went to one. It was in their best interest to build up comic book stores and start creating comic books that would only be in comic book stores. And today, obviously, we have crowd platforms, um, cr- crowdfunding, all of these comics that are going direct to consumer, we are in a, we are in a crazy, um, aggressive, expansive place ourselves in the world of comic books. Direct to consumer, I can sell to you through my phone, through my iPad, it, um, through my social media account. It's never been more advantageous to connect with consumers because maybe comic stores don't exist in 10 years, but that consumer on the other end of that digital um, um, platform is ready to buy from your web store or, or fund your, your comic or buy your subscription service. The one thing I failed to mention in that DC Comics explosion in that ad, there was also a subscription form where you could immediately send in. So the subscription form that was in the comic books that you could send your money in for books that they knew when the, the ad hit were never coming out. It was just a terrible timing, a terrible occurrence. It's an ugly period in the comics industry that people who were there, they, they talk about because it's so weird. How it just, this really aggressive, creative idea just had the rug pulled out from under it because management said, no, we're not gambling on that. We'll never know. Maybe those books came out. Maybe they connected. Maybe they carried DC to a whole new place. Maybe if Superman comes out in the summer of 78 instead of Christmas of 78, you've got a different playing field. Um, The one thing that they had mentioned repeatedly was that DC Comics on TV wasn't selling them comics. But they saw from Star Wars what a movie release would do for comic books. Wonder Woman had been on TV for three years at that point. She had had a successful top-rated show. Shazam was on Saturday mornings. Super Friends was a mainstay of Saturday morning cartoons. DC had so much media representation in television, but it wasn't moving them comic books, no matter how much they put the blurb on Wonder Woman, as seen on TV. And with the theatrical release, what I'm, I'm telling you, the Superman line, there is a reason in the 80s when we started out, Superman was what Batman was today to DC Comics. Superman was then. Multiple lines. Multiple. Superman was on everything because people could not get enough of Superman. And one of the guys in there, Mike Gold, is actually quoted as saying, it won't matter if we have if Superman comes out in the summer and we have Superman product and it's 50 cents, they're just going to want the Superman product. So do I believe that the delay in the Superman movie was part of this um, decision to not take these risks? I do. You can dismiss it. It really comes down to opinion. My opinion is based on what they believed that seeing what happened with Star Wars having a giant mission mo- major motion picture release, it's the same as today. The movies actually do move the needles in the way that the TV shows don't always accept unless your TV show is called The Walking Dead. Holy crap. The Walking Dead is in its world, in a, in a world and an existence all of its own. But given that we're talking about uh, Superman the movie, the Christopher Reeve, it did have tremendous impact. Maybe 
in a different dimension. This all came about. Superman was released in the summer. The explosion didn't become the implosion. And DC, you know, closed the gap on Marvel. And Marvel eventually went to the same model. Who knows? But that's why we're here. We're here to discuss these things. The DC explosion, the DC implosion was a crazy time in comics. A, a line of promised comics never came to be. And we survived it. And maybe, you know, maybe in, in the end... It was the transition to the new age of comic book stores and the clubhouse and the tribes getting together and, and a more dedicated um, uh, practice uh, and a more focused practice of, of, of buying the comic books and the characters that we loved. So there you go. The summer of, of 78 and what could have been, what should have been. I always appreciate that we get to hang out and talk comics like this. And I love that you guys are along for the ride with me. I appreciate it so very much. You'll never know how much I appreciate when I was at this original art show the other day. I am there with one one goal. And one goal is to buy some original art pages. I was blown away. And I want to say hi to John. And I want to say hi to Ryan. And I want to say hi to Warren. And I want to say hi to Paul. All four of you approached me at the original art store yesterday, uh, original art show, and you told me how much that you are enjoying the podcast. You told me the episodes that you liked. You told me the sequences that you enjoyed. And I'm telling you, it lifted my spirits. I could not have been more excited to meet you, um, to speak to you, to talk to you. And I am so humbled that you are giving me your time and you're listening to, to, to this podcast and you're excited about it. And, and it just means the world to me. I, I cannot thank you enough um, for, for your support and your engagement. And I just hope that you continue to, to spread the word and, and, and tell your friends and, 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 uh, and ex- expand, uh, expand the audience for observations. And this is the time where I share your reviews and you guys have been so generous and, um, and, and, and I read the reviews that you guys leave for me at the end of, uh, of, of every show. And, and I, I appreciate when you give the show a good review and that when you, um, when, when you write a review, when you leave the, the five star rating, it helps. I am told it helps immensely in our positioning on these different podcast platforms. I cannot thank you enough. Today's review is quick. It's brief. It's from a guy who he knows what he's doing here. He, he, <laughs> he left the review under the name Macho Show. Macho Show. And the title is Rob Dethrone the King of All Media. All right, we all know better than that, but it's very kind. It says, Rob, your podcast is simply amazing. I dropped my Sirius XM subscription and Howard Stern in favor of listening to you and your podcast. I look forward to the day when you publish your own memoirs. Macho Show. You are so or, let's do it, as as, as Oscar Goldman uh, made, as I've told you on the documentary, we're a macho show. Or we're a macho show. Okay, so I know what you're saying here. I know what you're saying when you're saying macho show. Thank you for this great and positive and wonderful review. I I, I appreciate it so much. Guys, we will be back again next time. Uh, I am on social media, on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. Both checks, blue checks on both, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. Um, you guys know where to find me, hang out, talk to me. I love talking to you guys. I love sharing comic books and pop culture and movies and all of this. And thank you for coming along on the uh, coming along on this ride with me. You guys know the drill. You are going to stay safe. You're going to take care of yourself. And we're going to talk again real soon. 